Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. Hope you're glad to be here as well. That you woke up this morning saying uh, what a delight it is to go and be with the people of God and worship God together. If you're a visitor, we do welcome you in the name of the Lord. We realize we have visitors every week, and so we're glad you're here. Hope you'll find this place to be uh, not only encouraging but biblical, and that you will be uh, encouraged and exhorted to live for Christ as you leave here today. So thanks for coming. If you have a moment, would you take the friendship roll found in the pew rack in front of you, sign it and pass it down, and we would have a record of your presence. A couple of announcements I'd like to underline. Ben is preaching through Romans. We're in Romans 2 uh, tonight, so make note of that and prepare your hearts. If you'd like to make a gift in honor or in memory of somebody to the flower fund, please contact the church office by September. September, yeah, that'd be good. December the 6th. Also, you see other things about our joy gift is next week, next Sunday night, uh, 6 o'clock. See there about the youth program, youth party, and heart to heart. Make note of those things. With no more announcements, let's prepare our hearts to worship God together.
Lord Himself calls us to worship from Psalm 100. Join me as we are called by our God to come before Him. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. God, your thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our ways your ways. For the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, and your thoughts than our thoughts. In so many more ways, we are so far beneath you. For you are the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And you are to be worshipped and adored forever and ever by all your creatures in all places. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would come down and give us aid as your people, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be magnified all this day and even now in the ordinances of your worship. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and now pray together as he himself taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our profession of faith this morning is taken from the Apostles' Creed. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our God is surely worthy of all praise and honor. Let's sing number 115, All Creatures of Our God and King. Creatures of our God and King, live. 
please be seated. You'll notice in your bulletin printed for us uh, to, to answer together is the Heidelberg question 21. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism was written in 1563 in Heidelberg, Germany, believe it or not. Written as our catechisms are written in the Westminster Standards as a tool for teaching. Um, many of the Dutch Reformed churches even today still use it in their doctrinal standards in the same way that we use the Westminster uh, Catechism and Confession in ours. And so this morning we're reading question 21 on faith. I'll ask and we'll answer together. Heidelberg Catechism question 21. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the Gospel. Amen. And we praise God for this truth from His Word. Let's pray. Great are Your works, O Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is Your work, and Your righteousness endures forever. The works of Your hands are faithful and just. All Your precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Lord, we thank You and we praise You for You have caused Your wondrous works to be remembered. In Your pleasure, You have revealed Yourself and declared Your will unto Your people, Your church. You've committed Your Word to writing and You've graciously preserved and propagated it and by it have established and comforted us against corruption. Oh Lord, we are grateful for Your Word. And even though sometimes it is not pleasing to us, we must agree with its clear teaching about our sin and our corruption. In our sins and trespasses, we were once dead. We followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We lived among them carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of Your wrath, just like the rest of mankind. O Lord, forgive us of our great rebellion against You. We know that we are not worthy of Your forgiveness. And so this is why we plead the merit of another. We thank You, O Lord, that in Christ You have sent redemption to your people. You have commanded your covenant forever. Holy and awesome is your name, for you have redeemed us by the blood of Jesus and set us in heavenly places with him. We thank you, O Lord, for the faith that you have granted to us that we might believe these things. We thank you, O Lord, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart by the gospel. Thank you, O Lord, that in Christ we may speak of our rebellion against you in the past tense but even still, we recognize our continual remaining corruption in this life. Just as we could not save ourselves, oh Father, we, we cannot live as your people on our own. 
we thirst and hunger for that which satisfies, and too often we spend our money for that which is not bread. And so we ask that you'd forgive us and teach us to walk in the newness of life to which you've called us. Grant that we may incline our ears and come near to you. Grant us to hear your word that our souls may live. Help us, O Lord, to heed how we hear your word proclaimed and ministered, that we may attend it with faithfulness and and diligence. Draw us more and more away from self and pride, and more and more unto Christ and humility. We know that you will do many of these things through difficulty and hardship, and so come, Holy Spirit, and do it. Teach us to flee from sin as gently as possible, but as firmly as necessary. Teach us to love Jesus and to rest in Him as gently as possible, but, O Lord, as firmly as is necessary to draw us to Him. That we might feel and know the promises that You have passed to us in Him. Many in our midst experience trial and difficulty even now. And this is our prayer for them, that that in these hard things You would draw them away from self and away from the world, that You would teach them, teach us all, O Lord, to be sick of sin and sick of the world and draw us fresh to Christ. Oh Lord, let the pain of Your people not be vanity and emptiness, but produce in them the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Come, O Lord, and do these things, we pray, even now among us right here in this room. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, grant now that your word may also be that which goes forth from your mouth through the mouth of your servant. We know that it shall not return to you empty, but it shall accomplish that which you purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which you sent it. Come, Holy Spirit, soften and harden, condemn and convert, convict and encourage, all for your glory and for the glory of the name of our risen Lord Jesus. And we ask it for his sake and in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing praise to our God again. Number 528, my faith looks up to thee.
just a comment on verse 3. Uh, most of you know that our church has had a difficult time and we've uh, lost a lot of people we've deposited into glory. And I think our prayer has been, while life's dark maze I tread and griefs around me spread, be thou my guide. Bid darkness turn to day, wipe sorrows and tears away, nor let me forever stray from thee aside. We pray that God would wipe away all your tears and give you the hope and the joy of heaven. Let's pray together. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to take all, make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you may abound in every good work. May we give faithfully, cheerfully to you, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Love Christmas music. Love this time of year. We're going to be spending Christmas with the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11 this year. When you open your Bibles to chapter 11, I want you to realize that chapter 11 is probably one of the most familiar, one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. It probably is only second maybe to 1 Corinthians 13 on the chapter on love. Uh, It's called the roll call of the faithful. But when you look at chapter 11, it's unfortunate that the chapter division starts at verse 1 because really it is introduced, the chapter is really introduced by the paragraph that remains in chapter 10. Because in chapter 10 it talks about uh, the righteous will live by faith. And after giving a very serious warning to God's people about falling away or leaving the faith, He then reassures them that what they have to do is they have to learn to walk by faith. And he gives, if you got your Bible open, in verse 39 he says, But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who believe and are saved. These people he believes, these people he's been warning about drifting away, falling away, hardening their heart, not listening to the Word of God. He is confident they're not going to do that. And part of the reason he's encouraging them is so they won't do that. But he says, in order to persevere in this life to the very end, you have to learn what it means to live by faith. And so he gives you about 21 different illustrations of people who live by faith. Now, when it talks about living by faith, we're not talking about saving faith. We're talking about living faith, walking faith, daily faith, practical faith that grows out of your saving faith for sure, but this is talking about how the faithful live by faith. And so uh, I want to read verses 1 through 6, and we'll look at these for two weeks, and so don't expect I'll say everything about all the verses. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Father, would you, by your grace and by your mercy, work faith in our heart. Now, maybe some need saving faith they've never truly trusted personally upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But many here have, and would you give them living faith, faith to live by, a life that would be commendable, a life that would please you and bring you honor and glory. 
And so bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson, in his sermon on this passage, says, Imagine you're in a Bible study, and the teacher asks a question, and he pauses long enough to let you answer, which in our church sometimes takes a long time. And let's say that he uh, says, What is faith? And so somebody says, well, when I think of faith, I think of the faith that we profess every Sunday morning in the Apostles' Creed. I believe it's talking about the body of faith that we have. And somebody says, well, I agree with that, but faith has got to be personal. I believe in God the Father. It has to be personal faith. And so it has to be more subjective than objective. And one guy who's home from seminary said, well, I've been reading the Reformers, you know, throwing that out. And he said, I've learned that faith has different elements. Faith has knowledge, and faith has assent, and faith has trust to it. And so faith is not just information. It's where you believe that information enough to act upon it. And another guy said, why are we making this so hard? It says in, in Hebrews chapter 1, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Let's give it a biblical definition. And somebody says, well, if you're going to be simple, let's just change it to trust. Faith is trust in God. Now, what Hebrews 11 does, it gives you a definition of faith, but it's a working definition of faith. It's not describing saving faith. It's describing living faith. And when you look at it, you have to say, what is faith? Well, it's not just optimism. It's not just positive thinking you know it's not just uh, things are going to turn out well in the end it's not just a wish you know faith is more than that faith has an object and that object saving faith's object is Christ and living faith's object is the word of God and so when you look at this passage here I want us to pick up three different things once I want you to see that faith is confident Faith is commended, and faith is comprehensive or comprehends the world and how it was made. Confidence, commended, and comprehends. Faith is confident. Uh, the word that we use to translate, we say now faith is being sure. That translation could be numerously translated by as many Bibles as we have in this room. It could be confidence, it could be assurance, it could be certainty, it could be conviction, it could be sure, it can be reality, it can be substance, it can be realization. Those are all actual ways that different translations translate that word sure. The word in the, in the Greek is hypostasis. And the word in the Greek, when you take the Hebrew Bible and you translate it into Greek, that's called the Septuagint. Don't want to get too complicated here. And probably the writer of Hebrews was using the Septuagint a lot. We have these quotes coming basically from the Septuagint, a lot of authors think. And this word hypostasis in the Greek was used to translate 12 different Hebrew words. That means it has 12 different nuances, 12 different colors, 
12 different varieties. It's a rich word. It's a vague word on purpose. And when you look at it, you begin to say, well, is this word faith is being sure or faith is confident? Is it uh, talking about objective faith or subjective faith? Objective faith is the faith that we confess this morning. I believe in God the Father. That's objective faith. Fact. Subjective faith is I truly believe it. You know, it's personal. It's inward. And it's amazing that commentaries say it's both. Or it's either. Because it translates, as I said, 12 different Hebrew words. And so you turn to somebody that can help you figure it out. So you turn to one of the commentaries, Hughes, and he gives you four definitions that really do help. He says faith could be translated as proof or evidence or reality or substance. It's used in chapter 1, the word is, to describe that Jesus is of the same substance as the Father, of the same nature as the Father. And so when we talk about faith, we talk about it has a reality to it, a substance to it. And here's what one writer says. Faith celebrates now the reality of future blessings, which make up the objective content of Christian hope. Faith gives to the objects of hope the force of present realities. Faith gives to the objects of hope the force of present reality and enables the person of faith to enjoy the full certainty in the future realities that they will experience. That, that's the way the King James translates the word. Faith is the evidence. It's the substance. It it's, it's, it's a, makes what's future a reality to us. Hughes goes on to say the word uh, hypostasis, breaking it down, hypo meaning under and stasis meaning standing and so it's an understanding uh, it gives a foundation to everything else that everything else is built on this faith and grows out of this faith and nothing from anything that's not of faith is sin uh, other ways that Hughes translates it faith is confidence or faith is uh, assurance and it's interesting that uh, some people go up into the language of the day and this word that we translate assurance or hope or whatever is used to describe a title deed you have deed to your property you know that I, if somebody comes in and says hey this is 1517 belongs to me and I go no it doesn't big boy I got the deed right here you know and so that's what this word is translated by some people that faith is the title deed Faith says, heaven is mine. How do I know? Big boy, I got faith right here. I got faith in the word of God. It's that sure to me. I already own the title to it by faith. The Heidelberg Catechism, we read it. Uh, I love the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed in his word. And at the same time, I have a firm confidence that not only others, but also me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, salvation, and out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merit. And this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart. 
by the gospel. Faith is worked in our heart by, by God through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith grows by reading the word of God. Faith hopes for things not yet seen or experienced. For faith is being sure of what we hope for. What do you hope for in the Christian life? You hope for heaven. That there, in my Father's house there is a room. That if this body be destroyed, we have a house not made with hands. We believe that Jesus is coming again. We have the hope that one day there will be a resurrection of our body. And those who have died before the Lord comes back will be raised from their grave and their souls and their bodies will be reunited. And they'll live in the new heaven and the new earth forever. And there will be a place of no sin and no pain and no death and no sorrow. We believe that's the future. We have the title deed to it. Well, also we have the title deed to future grace. God's grace is going to be sufficient. That we have the title deed to strength, that I can do all things that Christ asked me to do by Christ who lives in me. But not only future things, but faith can see things that are unseen and things that are invisible. You go, that's kind of, I don't even know if you call that oxymoronic. It sees things invisible. How can you see the invisible? And it means with eyes of faith, it becomes a reality. So you have things that are unseen become realities. Like it says in Ephesians chapter 6, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that are operating in the darkness. That we believe in unseen things like angels. We believe the angels really did appear to the shepherds and sang. We really do believe the angel of the Lord appeared to the people of God. We really do believe like Elijah said to his servant when they were surrounded by the enemy. He asked God to open his eyes to see that greater are them with us than those out there. And the servant's eyes was, were opened and he saw the reality of the physical, uh, I mean of the spiritual army of God surrounding them. We believe in things that you can't see. We believe in grace. Can't see it. We believe in mercy. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in peace that passes understanding. We believe that all those things are ours because we have this title to it called faith. During the persecution which eventually came to the church. It hadn't yet reached the height of the church life in this passage we're dealing with. This common everyday man was brought before the powers to be, and the person asked him before he was going to persecute him, burn him at the stake or whatever he's going to be, and the authority asked him this, do you think a person like you will see God and his glory. Do you think you'll see God in his glory? And the man says, I don't think so. I know so. That's faith. 
the man had a title deed to heaven and eternal life was a reality and he lived by it courageously and he didn't shrink back faith is not only confident faith is commended faith is praised faith is rewarded faith pleases God you notice how many different times it talks about commended in there in verse 2 it says this is what the ancients are the elders or you could translate it to old people this is what the old people were commended for people like me verse 4 by faith Abel was commended as a righteous man uh, verse 5 Enoch was commended as one who pleased God now I want to pause and let you marinate on the idea of commended the word commended is from the Greek word martyreo which is martyr but the idea of martyr grew out of the real original meaning of the word uh, martyreo originally meant a witness that testified to something and and so I guess how it developed was that Christians who testified that they had a faith in in Jesus Christ were persecuted and killed and they became martyrs of the faith but the idea is original and basically means to witness to to commend somebody to speak well of somebody to say this guy's actions are pleasing to me and the interesting thing is this who is commending these people of faith? God. God is commending these people of faith. Without faith, you cannot please God. And these people were pleasing God by their faith. Not because they built an ark or gained a victory. Not because of who they were or what they did. Not because of their gifts, abilities. Not because they left for a country they didn't see. Not because of their IQ. Not because of their contribution to history. These people were commended because of their faith. One writer says, The apostles' object in this chapter is to show that however excellent were the works of the saints, it was from faith they derived their value their worthiness, and all their excellencies. And hence follows what has already been intimated, that the fathers please God by faith alone. Please God by faith alone. Do you remember questions that people ask you sometimes? You know, if you're here on Wednesday nights in the summer, uh, I... It's, you talk about the, the, the few, it's a, the few. I moved the podium to the very back, about six rows, so I can be close to where everybody sits. We sit, always start at the back and fill up, you know. And so I just moved back there. And one night I was teaching on something, and Buck was sitting over there about where Tommy Nairn and Harry Howarth are sitting. And Buck Beckham asked this question, and it's, penetrated my mind and stayed with me for years he said Tim can we please God I thought now Buck is a real Presbyterian and Buck believes in total depravity 
And total depravity means that all of our good deeds are tainted by sin, that we don't have any perfect good deeds. And Buck believes in Isaiah where it says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And how do I answer him? And then I began to think, it's amazing how you can think when somebody asks you a question. It seemed like I was thinking for a long time. And I thought about one passage that I said, Buck, it says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So I guess if we can grieve the Holy Spirit, there are times when we can please the Holy Spirit as well. Since then, I got a better answer. This passage says, by faith, you can please God. That God is pleased even with our tainted works. They don't merit us anything or earn us anything, but they're, they're like this the bad art we put on the refrigerator that our kids draw. We're pleased they did it. Somehow God is pleased with our feeble efforts that come from a heart of faith. And I think we need to realize that. I think a lot of times, uh, maybe a lot of Christians and especially Presbyterians go around that God's mad at you all the time. I don't think that's what this passage says. That when we live by faith in the word of God, God is pleased with our feeble efforts. Spurgeon preached on this passage. Spurgeon wanted to be a Presbyterian. He was Baptist, but he wanted to be a Presbyterian. The reason I know that, okay, the reason I know that is because he quotes the shorter catechism on this passage. And he says that the Westminster Confession of Faith, first question is a short, to-the-point question and answer. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And Spurgeon goes on to say, they could have made it shorter. They should say, what is the chief end of man? To please God. To please God. Bible here says that if we seek God, God rewards you. Those who you first have to believe that God is, and God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, who seeks God? Okay, Presbyterians. Okay, people who know the Roman road of salvation. Romans chapter 3 that says that no one seeks after God. Well, this says that all who seek after God will be rewarded. This is written, remember, where these are written to people he believes are Christians. These is written to people he's, he's wanting to not shrink back and he believes they won't shrink back. These are people he believes are saved by faith and are walking by faith. And he says, and as you continue to seek God in your life... God will reward you. You're seeking God because God sought you. I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. Thou did reach forth Thy hand, and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I took hold of Thee, but as Thou, dear Lord, on me. The Bible says here that if we seek God, He rewards us. 
What's a reward? F.F. Bruce says it well, the reward of those who seek him is the joy of finding him. He proves himself to be their exceeding joy. Maybe you could say it like this, he who seeks after or hungers after righteousness be satisfied. Those who seek after Christ and the righteousness of Christ will be satisfied. I think what this passage is basically saying is that God in a believer's heart so salts our soul that we become thirsty for God. And when we're thirsty for God, we're going to be satisfied with God and in God. So faith is to be commended. Faith is confident. And faith comprehends the world and how it was made. It's really interesting when you start exegeting or examining this passage, while all of a sudden it goes from faith to talking about the creation of the world. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What is seen is made out of stuff that you can't see. And faith comprehends that. Faith understands that. Faith believes that. Why did he bring this up? You know, I, I don't have the answer, but I can speculate. He brought it up because our faith is in the Word of God. And what was creation created by? The Word of God. And if God's Word is powerful enough to create everything in the world, in the universe... If God's Word is that powerful, then surely it's powerful enough to give you heaven and to give you grace. That you can believe God did this so you can believe that. You know that great theologian, Jerry Clower, he loved to tell stories about Marcel Ledbetter, remember? Marcel was sitting on the front porch. This, I didn't have this written down. This probably get me in trouble. But anyway, he, uh, he was sitting on the front porch of a store, and this guy came up in a big car, and he said, Hey, redneck, he said, I'll give you $10 if you can eat that watermelon. And Marcel said, Well, give me about 10 minutes. I'll be right back. So he came back, and he said, Okay, I'll take you up on the bed. And they said he busted the watermelon, ate the watermelon, drank the juice, and said, Give me my $10. And he said, yeah, I'm going to do that. He said, but before I give you $10, I want to ask you, where did you go for those five minutes? He said, well, my mama had a watermelon bigger than that, and I figured if I could eat that one, I could eat this one too. <laughs> That's what this is saying. If God, by the power of his word, can create everything out of nothing, do you think he's going to be impotent? to bring into existence the things He's promised us? Of course not. And what it means is we understand that the world was made out of what was not seen. Tim Keller has a great sermon on this. You could go listen to it. 
But he talks about this. He says, what we mean by that, we understand that if you take God out of the equation, the world doesn't make sense. There's no other good explanation for the creation and the existence of the world if you don't have God, an eternal being. You can't have eternal matter. You cannot have nothing bring everything into existence. You cannot have random luck and chance making the most sophisticated things in the world, human beings, that the only explanation to things that we can't really explain is that there is a God. And He created everything that we see. And if you don't, if you take God out of the picture, we get to existentialism. We get to humanism. We get to secularism. We get to pragmatism, which we've been studying in Sunday school. You take God out of the picture and you have no ethics or morals or right or wrong because we're all just random lucky mud that's sitting on the same pew. But faith believes that God made it and that God is our God and that God has spoken to us in the Bible and we believe whatsoever it says is true. And one of the things it says is true is this, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they, somebody preach unless they're sent? And the preacher can stand up here and say, I know one thing is the Bible clearly says that anybody who comes to Christ will not be turned away. And that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for those people to live as Christ, to die as gain, to gain heaven. And you cannot live by faith unless you have been saved by faith. Until you put your faith in the Savior who died for your sins and lived that you might be righteous and rose that you might have power so that you might please him in all things. Let's pray. Father, work in our hearts faith. Those who have faith, make it stronger. Help it to focus on the author of faith with more tenacity. Give us faith that we might walk in your ways and we might please you with how we do. And I pray you'll bless us and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Trust is faith. Six.
been using the same benediction since we've been in Hebrews and notice again how it encapsulates all the teaching and it uses the verb pleasing in here as well. And may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with every good thing for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen. Rejoice.